Before we dive into today's show, I want to introduce you guys to another great podcast available on Spotify called Clearly Unclear, hosted by Matt Zabrowski. This podcast dives into sports, pop culture, video games, music, and more. So if you're looking for a diverse podcast that also talks a lot of sports, look no further than Clearly Unclear by Matt Zabrowski, available on Spotify. On today's episode, pimping ain't easy, but simping sure as hell is. We got new developments in the Brian Flores situation. Doug Peterson's a new head coach in Jacksonville after Byron Leftwich withdraws his name. This is a special weekend edition of the show, so I'm going to give some love to the Alaska athletes who have made it to the professional level. My experience going against the only athlete that I ever played against who actually went pro, and a couple other things sprinkled in as well. All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. It's February 5th, man, which means one thing. We ain't got no foosball to watch. No foosball. Now, I know that joke's becoming a little bit old because of the Pro Bowl and whatnot, but I seriously don't know why we have this thing anymore. And I'm not trying to be the old head, because that is largely what people think nowadays. Why do we even have this thing anymore? And what I'm going to do for a moment is kind of cape up for Pro Bowl weekend because I think that that's still a good idea. Now, I didn't watch it yesterday, so it kind of sounds like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth. And they may have events going on right now, too. So that just shows how little I'm really am paying attention to this, too. But I understand the reason for Pro Bowl weekend more than I do the Pro Bowl game itself. Because I think it's a good idea to let these guys let some of their personality go, have some fun, because... The NFL is such a corporate entity nowadays. We don't really get to see that from these players. Hell, it took us two decades to get like just an enjoyable Tom Brady. And like right now with Joey Burrow, it seems like everyone gets down with this kid's get down. Because we don't usually see this type of outspokenness and swagger, especially from a white quarterback. Now from black quarterbacks, we don't usually like to see that. That's a topic for a different day. But to get back on track, it does. I think that the Pro Bowl weekend's a good idea and I like uh, overall what it's supposed to represent, but the game itself is useless. So something that I had kind of thrown out into the universe at the beginning of last year, uh, what I had the original podcast before I had to kind of reboot things and I had to start from the ground up. Once we knew we were getting 17 games and an 18-week schedule, I thought, you know what we need to do? We just need to blow the whole thing up. Let's do this. 20-game NFL season. Yeah, dog, we get rid of the Pro Bowl game and we get rid of all of the preseason games. All that noise gets thrown out the window. Because, I mean, like, what the owners are doing is they're losing money on preseason games anyways because they're they're practically giving tickets away for people to come see it. What if those were three more meaningful games? What if you had 20 meaningful gate revenue football games? But, Prescott, what about player safety? Let me tell you something right now. The NFL doesn't care about player safety anyways. And I don't think that a lot of these guys really do either because there's so much money to be made. And if you add three more games, it's going to be exponentially more money that I think that they'd be willing to do it. Now, here is my thing. This is the way that I would do it if I was Commissioner Goodell and if everything was voted on and so on and so forth. 20 game regular season, two bye weeks. You have to take one somewhere between, I'd say, week six and week eight. And then you've got to take another one somewhere between 13 through 15 or 16, somewhere in that ballpark. That makes the owners a bunch more money. That makes the players so much more money. 
that lets the fans have more football and you're erasing three meaningless games and, and then you include the Pro Bowl in it too. To me, it's just something to think about. I don't think that this will ever happen. I really don't. But we've gone from 12 to 14 to 16 to 17. So a 20 a 20 game football season may not be out of the realm of possibility at some point in time. I would be very surprised if it does. But if that's the way it's going to work, that's the way that I would try to construct it. So everybody wins. Everybody happy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you fix football. Well, not fix it, but how you make it even better. Case closed. Bro, in the intro, I say, you know, I've, uh, I got, I've had a lot more time on my hands over the past two weeks or so. Uh, I quit my previous job to go back to my original employer. And given what I do for work, they're like, hey, per policy, we can't, you can't work here anymore. We appreciate your notice, but pay you out as you go. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Because I haven't had a vacation in forever. So I was like, okay. And once I left my old job to come to where I was working, I was, within three days, I was, I was already back to work. So I didn't get any time then either. So I basically had a little over two weeks to myself. I'm like, so I was going hard in the pain on the podcast is trying to pump more content into it. So I start back up on Monday. And like I say, you know, my schedule as far as getting content, I was going to be a little bit more goofy. It's going to be a little bit more erratic. So I figured since I'm getting close to that deadline of where I've got to get like back into work mode and then this being more of like the hobby thing, I might as well do another one on Saturday just to get some more, get some more stuff out there and kind of let you guys in on the loop. I do have Wednesday and Thursday and Sundays off for the month of February. So I'm hoping to still do at least one or two per week and not fall into a funk of, well, now that I'm back in the corporate world, now I'm not going to be able to do this. So I'm going to try to still stay, stay put but just give you guys a heads up because the growth of this show over the past two weeks, then now that I was able to put a lot more time into it has grown pretty exponentially by given from where it was to what it is now. So I want to thank everybody for the listens and the follows and the shares and everything like that. Cause I still want to keep this thing going, but I just want to like, I want to keep everybody in the loop to, Hey, make sure you still stay followed because it's not going to be coming. It's not going to be coming three or four episodes a week. Like it has been over the past couple of weeks, but we're going to try to keep it at least one maybe two every week to still get you guys what you guys are looking for. Well, that's enough self-absorption and sangria for all my American dad fans out there. In the second segment, I'm going to get more like the serious stuff with the whole like Brian Flores and Peterson, Belichick, that whole wild scenario. But for now, I want to stay put with what I mentioned in the intro. And that is me giving some flowers to the Alaskan athletes who have made it to the pro level. In my experience, with the one person I ever played against who made it to the association. Now, there's a few of them that come to mind. There might be a few more that are kind of sprinkled in that I'm not remembering. But if I'm looking at the landscape of people who have went to high school in Alaska and made it to the pros, I think the most recognizable person is still the one who's the most prominent is Mark Schlereth. Now, Stank went to, I believe, the University of Idaho but he went to service, which is the high school in Anchorage. Like I said, he's probably the most famous one still because he's still out in the media a lot. Like he still works for Fox and he's calling professional football games. So he's probably the guy that if, if I were to line up the other him and the other three guys that I was going to mention, he's probably still the most recognizable just because you see he's still in the public eye so much. And I don't even know if 
people even know that he went to high school in Alaska. Like, that's not usually where that comes from, right? Like, you know where they go to college, but the high school kind of eludes you. When I move on to two of these next three, though, what's wild to me is both of these basketball players went to the exact same college, and that's Duke University, and that's Carlos Boozer and the Alaskan assassin, Trajan Langdon. Trajan Langdon, to me, would be, oof, without sounding like it's too harsh on the comparative part that I'm trying to lean with, to me, Trajan Langdon is basically like a broke man's non-defensive version of Clay Thompson. The spot-up shooter Langdon was just bonkers. Like, you don't get the name Alaskan Assassin for no reason. I say he's a poor man's version because you know, Clay's not a great ball handler. And he, but like I said, he's Trajan Langdon is a poor man's non-defensive version of Clay Thompson. <laughs> Neither one are great at creating their own shot. I know Clay's better than him, and that's the whole reason why I use the term poor man's version of it. And Clay's obviously a lockdown defender, and Trajan isn't. But Trajan was the dude who, like, kind of put Alaska on the map as far as potential Alaska products that could actually go and play college basketball someplace else. And then with Carlos Boozer, what's wild, this is what's wild to me. Okay, and a little known fact, Trajan Langdon actually, his birthday is one day after mine. So happy birthday on May 13th, Mr. Langdon. I know he'll never hear this, but happy early birthday. Now again, so with Carlos Boozer, what's wild to me is that these are both kids from Alaska. They both go to Duke and a Boozer goes to Duke, I believe, two years after Langdon and has like an exponentially better career than Trajan did. Um... But what's wild to me is that the Cleveland Cavaliers are the ones who drafted both of these dudes. Now, the Cavs took Langdon in the first round. I think he was a top 10 pick or he was close to it. And now they waited for Boozer till the second round. But Boozer was the like his career in its entirety was way, <laughs> way better than Langdon's was. But yes, yeah, so there's Slareth, Langdon and Boozer. And now this is where my story comes into play because we all have that story. If you've played at the high school, like varsity level of anything, you've got a story about how you've played against somebody who either made it to like division one college ball or into the pros. And this is mine. So the year is either 2000 or 2001 because I'm still in high school, but I'm pretty sure I'm a junior. So it would have been 2001 at that point in time. And my dad was in the military. So we had access to the Air Force Base to go, you know, play basketball and stuff. And I had some friends who their parents were in the military. And sometimes we just ride into Anchorage and go to the military base and we would shoot, we shoot hoops and we play ball for a bit. Now I played varsity basketball and one of the dudes that was with me pointed at this kid and said, yo, that is what we call the freshman phenom. And the military high school that was associated there was, was called Bartlett. Now, some of you guys might know who I'm talking about right away. Some of you guys might still need a little bit more of an insight. So let me go ahead and drop it down for you real quick. So I'm playing hoops at the gym that's on base. And someone's like, that's a freshman phenom. And I'm playing against him. And I have I put a couple jumpers in this guy's eye. Like not on him on him, but he's, you know, he's the one responsible for me. And at the time, I'm like this super skinny white kid. He's not guarding me for a reason. But I'm also got I also got that jumper for a reason. Caucasian persuasion, man. We got that jumper. We always got, if we hoop, we got that jumper. And I'm playing ball against this guy and he's missing shots. Like I'm like, this guy isn't that good, but he's also taking just wild shots that I'm thinking like, these aren't game shots. What the hell is this guy even doing? You know, so in my mind, I'm going, this 
this is your freshman phenom? Okay. So I played at a school called Colony High School. This dude went to Bartlett. We played them in a regular season game. And this dude just went off. For I don't know exactly how many points he had, but he had, I would imagine, at least 30. The dude just absolutely smashed us. And me, like, I'm barely even playing, you know, because I'm not a white dude. I'm, I just got that jumper. That's, that is the only reason why I'm there. If we're down by 15 with two or three minutes left, I'm like the C.D. Osman. Like, I don't think he's starting in the NBA. But if there's an equivalency of guy who shouldn't be starting that sometimes started, that was me. <laughs> but I still contest I got a better three-point shot than CD. But regardless, yeah, I saw this dude once in the gym, and I thought, he ain't, ain't nothing special. But the thing is, like, he knew that he was better than all of us. He knew it. And once we got on the court when something mattered, dude beat the brakes off my high school team. And that is the one and only Mario Chalmers, the former Kansas Jayhawk, and former teammate of LeBron James. Yeah, dog. That was. That's the only person who I've ever had the opportunity to play against. And it was wild because you know how like when you're in high school, you think that you're good? And like I was a good basketball player. Don't get me wrong. I was good. But I was never I was never Mario Chalmers good. And I was never going to be Mario Chalmers good. But you have that like kind of when you're a teenager, you think that you're better than what you actually are at stuff. And then sometimes as an adult you think you're worse at things than you actually are. And that's kind of where I've laid in. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that that's the space, like that that's not the moment in my life where I realized, oh, I don't have a chance. Now nah, at the NBA, it did. Like that was, that was a defining moment. I thought, oh man, this dude wasn't even trying against us. It still looked good. And then, and then we, we get into a meaningful game and this dude puts like a 30-burger on us and makes all of us look like we're basically eight-year-olds. Nah, this dude's going to be really good. You're called the freshman phenom for a reason, and he was. So, the other day, when I had Philip Thomas on, we were talking about Stephen Ross. And he had asked me, what do you think the NFL should make him do with the Miami Dolphins? And I said, he needs to sell that joint. Like He shouldn't be allowed to own a football team. Now, I had made a joke about how he should just go buy the Miami. Like, once he gets rid of the Miami Dolphins, like you can just go have Denver because they're up for sale too. I jokingly said that. But this dude should not be allowed to own an NFL team. He just shouldn't. Do we know 100% the reason why he got rid of Brian Flores was because of race? No, we don't necessarily. Again... He led you to back-to-back over 500 records with a subpar roster. If that is not a good football coach, then I don't know what is. So we'll put the race thing on the back burner for now because largely what was said was there was a conflict between Flores and Tua. And Tua went and ran to his daddy, Stephen Ross. And then that's what got Flores fired was the difference of opinion on quarterbacks currently who are on the roster. Now, I really don't know what to believe anymore because everything seems like it's a lie, especially when it comes from, from management. Because the other thing, as much as the race thing is part of this discussion when it comes to Brian Flores, 
The biggest thing is, can you trust Steven Ross at all? The answer to that riddle for me would be no. Because back in 2019, he had invested into a sports gambling startup and put 17 plus million dollars into this joint. You couple that with the fact that he was willing to pay Brian Flores $100,000 per loss. How is that supposed to look? We talked about this thing on Tuesday when I had Phil on. We did the episode on Tuesday. We uploaded on Wednesday. So the content and the information was super fresh. Everything was just hot off the press and we were giving like basically our gut reactions. And I don't, I can't speak for Phil, but I'll speak for me. I still stand by quite literally like everything that I said. And this has largely played out the way that I thought that it would. Once this all got out, once Flores decided, he's like, yo, I've had enough. Cause this thing to me is, it's more of a stair step. It's an escalation than anything else. Because my thought process on this was like, yo, if he got fired just because he got fired, coaches get fired all the time, even after winning records. That is something that still happens. And do I think he was probably salty about getting fired? Yeah, I would be too, especially if I took a dog shit roster and went nine and 10 wins in back-to-back seasons in a division that also has the Patriots and the Bills. I would be pissed too. And the thing when it comes to the $100,000 per loss, this is the thing is like, This sounds really cliche, so I'm not trying to be that guy. But there are literally only 32 of these jobs available. And just because Ross offered doesn't mean that Flores took it. Because I guarantee you, if Flores did, you know the clapback from Ross would have already been there. And it hasn't been. But to get back to the point of how many jobs there are, I'm not saying Steven Ross is the only guy who operates this way. Because there's probably more. The Jacksonville Jaguars look like they are like an absolute dumpster fire as well. They've been in the playoffs, what, once in a decade? And when I get back to like this thing all kind of play out the way I thought it was going to, how could it go any other way if you're Miami? Once all this gets out, you have nowhere to go. Because we said this on Tuesday. I feel that the Dolphins are like, hey, things are getting too hot. We need to go, we need to go talk to Minnesota. Make it look like, because it's not that he wasn't going to get an opportunity to go to Minnesota anyways. If he if he expressed, if he expressed some kind of want to come back to the NFL, there was going to be multiple teams that were going to reach out because there was like ten teams that had vacancies. So he wasn't just going to get one from Miami, but Miami is the one who's been looking to have him for like ten years. It was just if if everything went, ooh ooh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack for just a minute because I mentioned this the other day, and I thought. Man, if the Bill Belichick thing doesn't get out, he probably doesn't sue. Because getting fired from your job happens. Getting offered money to tank, I would imagine, happens. But the straw that broke Brian Flores' back was Bill Belichick texting the wrong Brian and saying, congratulations on the gig, my man. Like that, three things in a row, you're like, yo, you know what? I've had it. I've had it. I can't do this anymore. I'm willing to risk it right now to never get a job again to make sure that this stops happening. Because from what I can tell, and I don't know Brian Flores personally, obviously, but he seems to be a man of principle. I don't know 100% what all of those principles are, but he wasn't willing to lose. He wasn't willing to lose for money. 
And now he's willing to not coach again, potentially, because of what he thinks is going on, which I feel like most of us think the same. Between the the timeline of Dable getting hired, him receiving that text, and it, to me it's like, so in the heat of the moment the other day, I was like, how is Bill going to F that up? Now, I still stand by that. Like, bro, like you can't put like Brian D and Brian F in there or Flores and Dable or do something like that. Like, you just have you have multiple Brians in your phone. Dog, like that's not a good look. And it seems like you didn't look through the previous text thread to either one of them to see there was a right. Like, I don't, it just seems so wild to me. But now that I've had a, a, a chance to kind of step back a little bit, you shouldn't be mad at Belichick. It's the Giants that you should be mad at. It's the fact that the the information was brought from an outside source that has nothing to do with this hiring whatsoever. Like Dable's been in Buffalo for a few years now. You don't need to go check your sources and go back to, to Belichick, right? Like you just you know whether you want the guy or not. So I'm not really even all that mad about Belichick doing this because it, it, this is not his fault. But what I'm saying is when you look at the timeline of him getting fired and then wanting to get paid for losses and then you see this noise, it, that had to have just been, I'm done. I'm bringing this to light and I'm. it is going to rain lawsuits on this thing right now. And I don't blame him. I just, I don't blame him. And it's, he's one of those dudes where he's been, he's been a head coach for a few years. But he doesn't have that money, that money. And he's already willing to risk not coaching again in the NFL. And if you missed last week's show or Tuesday's show, I already said, like, this is not what it's about for him. He's using this platform for something different. I don't think that he cares if he doesn't ever coach again. Now, he still might, and I hope he does, because what what he's given us as a product in Miami as far as the overall winning culture that he brings with really not a good football team you know he's good at what he does but will it be anytime soon I don't know I'd like to think that it will be but these owners have proven time and time again that they'd rather have a puppet than somebody who's really just trying to do what's best for the team because their egos are so wrapped up in this shit okay now (laughs) the Jaguars have decided to go with Doug Peterson instead of Byron Leftwich. Now, this is something that's been a topic of discussion on this show for a week, week and a half now, because all the signs pointed towards Leftwich is the guy, Leftwich is the guy. And it seemed like he just pulled his name out the hat. And I don't blame him for it. Now, I know that I've been on record on this show and I'm saying, I don't know if he'll be a good coaching candidate. I don't know because I've never seen him do it before. And he wasn't until he got Tom Brady. I do know that Brian Flores is a good head coach, though. And that's actually the guy who I wanted Jacksonville to get. But that place is such a dumpster fire that that doesn't seem like it's a good spot for him either. But at least with Peterson, like, you're getting someone who's been proven. And this was something we talked about on Tuesday. Like, black people don't want you to give them jobs just because they're black. They want you to give, get not give. They want to earn their jobs based on what they can do. So in this particular scenario... If Flores was not going to be on the books, and I have no idea when he's going to be on for anybody else, and if Leftwich doesn't want to go there because he doesn't feel comfortable with the environment that's there, you go and get the next available guy who's really available on the market, and it happens to be a white guy. But at least that dude's got a Super Bowl. Like there's, There are 
credentials under this dude's belt where this doesn't look like it's a race thing where we're just not going to hire somebody else. And this thing gets convoluted and it gets real tricky because what we've done is we've, what we've done is we've tried to put this thing into such a closed box of black guy gets coaching gig. It's only because he's black white guy gets a head coaching job only because he's white. We got to stop doing that, but we can't stop doing that until it is quite literally an equal opportunity for everybody to get a job based on merit.